Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we will begin going through this chapter, verses 1 to 15. And let's read these verses together. Hear the word of the Lord. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before Him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Our Father in heaven, we come before you now as your word is open before us. And we again ask that you quiet our minds and our hearts, that we would be focused upon your word now in this moment. Father, make your words known to us clearly. I pray that you would be with me as I seek to, to stand before your people and to proclaim your words, to proclaim the gospel to them. And I pray that you would be with them as they listen. Be with their ears, be with their minds, be with their hearts. May they accept these things with joyful and glad hearts. Father, we pray most of all that everything that is said here this morning is to your glory, to your honor, and to your praise. And it makes much of the Lord Jesus Christ. To His glory and for the good of your people. That is what we pray, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Control. We as human beings like that word. Control. We like to be in control. Because when we are in control, we feel a sense of security. Everything is happening when we want it to happen and how we want it to happen. This is especially true when it comes to our own lives. We like to think that we have control over our own life. I mean, it's my life, isn't it? So I'm going to do what I want to do and when I want to do it. William Ernest Henley had a similar view to this when he wrote the words, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. 
In writing those words, I think Henley expressed well how we as human beings often think about our own lives. There is a major problem with this way of thinking, however. It is the problem of time. Because you and I can only do what time allows us to do. And this is something that the preacher, the author of Ecclesiastes, had come to understand very well. In the midst of his quest for gain, he has begun to see that everything he does is bound by time. He can only do what time allows him to do. So to communicate the truth of time to us, he decides to write one of the most beautiful poems that has ever been written. He writes a poem about time. Now, there are many who think that this poem has a a negative tone that flows through it. They think that the preacher, in light of realizing that he and everything he can do is bound by time, writes this poem with a type of sour attitude toward God. Like God uses time in an oppressive way toward humanity. But what we're going to see him say in verse 11 shows otherwise. He says, He, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Now those aren't the words of a man who views time as oppressive. And that is not the point of this poem, nor is it the point of this passage as a whole. No, the point of this passage is that you are not the captain of your own soul. You are not the master of your own fate. Instead, God is. And this is not something to be seen as oppressive, but beautiful. That is what the preacher means to teach us within this passage. That is what we are going to see as we walk through these verses. And he begins the poem by saying, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Everything that happens in your life has an appointed time. It's a lot like creation if you think about it. And that's what the preacher is trying to show us by using this poetic language, a lot like he did back in chapter 1 when he described to us the, the patterns that the earth follows. He's showing us that our own lives have a a flow to it. And you can feel that flow by just reading through these verses. It has a rhythm that it follows. Life was created by God to be like this. However, life is also very complex. And sometimes things happen in a very unexpected way. This is another truth that this poem shows. You may have noticed, as we were reading through these verses a moment ago, that besides beginning with life and death, there is really no order to the events that the preacher describes. And that's the point. Life is like this. Yes, generally speaking, life does have a certain flow. And if you were just to to observe the different stages of life, you could see that. I mean, whenever you are a young child, you act like a child. You do childish things. And when you get older, you gain more responsibility and you begin to become in a different season of life. 
You move out, you get a job, you take on responsibility, you get married, you have kids, and then the process starts over again with them. You go from being parents to probably becoming grandparents. So you have this flow, this rhythm of life that goes on as life continues. But this is not always certain. At any time, something unexpected can happen and put you in a totally different season of life than what you expected to be in. But God is the one who is in control of it all. He is the one who decides what happens and when it happens. God is sovereign over all things, including every season and every event that takes place in your life. Beginning with life and death, which are the first two events that the preacher names. He says, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. That's verse 2. There came a time when you were born. And there will also come a time when you will die. And God decides both. As He says of Himself in Deuteronomy, He says, See now that I, even I, I am He, and there is no God beside Me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of My hand. God is the one who gives life to all. And He will also be the one who takes that life away whenever He sees fit to. And this is why abortion, euthanasia, and assisted suicide, and normal suicide for that matter, are so wrong. Abortion is the taking of life from an unborn child a life that God Himself has personally given. God personally breathes life into every person. All of you sitting there this morning. God personally breathed life into you. And He does the same with every unborn child. God does not give life in a light-hearted way, people. He does not take it a light thing when He breathes life into that little being inside its mother's womb. He personally breathes Himself, life, into that child. Human beings bear God's image. They are His image bearers. And so when abortion is committed, when an unborn child is aborted, murder is committed. A little being that bears God's image, that reflects in a way His character, has been killed. Murder has taken place. Euthanasia assisted suicide, which are very similar, they're pretty much the same thing, is putting yourself in the place of God 
by thinking that we can decide when we will die. That's what euthanasia and assisted suicide is. It's the thought, it's the, the procedure, it's the event of coming to a point in your life where you may be suffering greatly, but not to the point to where you can't sustain life on your own, but you would just like to go ahead and end your life. That's what euthanasia and assisted suicide is. Doctors using medication or some type of procedure to go in and take someone's life. You guys may remember a while back there was a young girl that she was all over social media and I think also on the news. She had been given the diagnosis of an extreme form of cancer. And she was told that she was going to suffer greatly and that she would die. And so in thinking about the suffering that she was going to have to endure, she wanted to go ahead and end her life. She wanted to go ahead and die in glory, you could say. You know, I want to die while I look healthy, while I look good. I want people to remember me like this. I don't want to die from suffering or from cancer or what have you. And if I remember correctly, she succeeded in that. She found some doctors somewhere in some country that would perform the assisted suicide treatment. They euthanized her. And there are many more cases, you could look them up, of young people that have been diagnosed with some form of severe cancer or some disease that want to go ahead and just end their life. Guys, we don't have the authority to do that. As God says of Himself in Deuteronomy chapter 39 that we just looked at, He gives life and He takes it away. Now even whenever these things do happen, when somebody does commit suicide or assisted suicide or whatever, that doesn't mean that God has lost control. They took their lives because God allowed them to do so. Nothing happens without His control. But to do that is direct disobedience to His authority. It's very similar to what Adam and Eve did in the very beginning. I will be God. I will do things how I want to do them. And so in that moment you're saying, I will die how I want to die. Disobedience. The going against the character and the authority of God. And this not only happens with, with the younger generation, with younger people. It's more prominent with the elderly. The older people get, the more or the less, rather, their lives seem significant. You know, they're old, they're about to die anyways, they're suffering, just go ahead and take their life. You know, let's get them out of the hospital. We don't have to care for them anymore. Let's just go ahead pump them up with medication, and let them die. That's how some people treat these things. It's what euthanasia is. Now, I know this is complicated, and there are a bunch of doctors that struggle with these circumstances. There are a bunch of doctors that seek to do the right thing. And in talking about all of this, I'm not referring to somebody that may be on life support. Their life is supported by a machine. And if they were to be taken off that machine, they would die. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is someone who can sustain within, in, within them, their selves, can just sustain life, but instead would rather just go ahead and end it. These things are disobedience to the authority and the godness of who God is. Now the second part of this verse parallels the first part. 
A time to plant parallels a time to be born. And a time to pluck up what is planted parallels a time to die. This is common in Hebrew poetry. It's called parallelism. All the verses of this poem either directly parallel one another like they do in this verse, directly, right underneath each other. A time to be born parallels a time to plant. Or they cross-parallel one another like they do in verse 8. And the preacher continues this parallelism for seven verses. He does it all the way down to verse 8. And some take this to mean that this is the perfect poem about time because in the Bible, the number seven represents perfection. And so in light of that, people say that this is the perfect poem about time. Now, whether the preacher meant that when he wrote this poem, I don't know. I don't know if that was his intention whenever he crafted this work. But it is interesting, though, to think that. It's interesting to see how he structured this poem in that way. But let's get back to what these verses are saying about God. He is the one who gives new life to all things and to all creatures and is also the one who decides when it is time for it to be plucked up. That's what we see in verse 1. Now I also want you to notice how the preacher not only puts things that we enjoy in this poem, but also the things that we tend to not enjoy. Things that we tend to not look forward to, like death. So why does he do this? Why does he put those things in here as well? Well, for one reason, all of these things are part of life. These things are reality. They all happen. But also the preacher is showing us that God is the God of both. He is sovereign over all things. The good things that happen in this world and also the bad things. None are out of His control. He is sovereign over the sword of justice when it is used to kill. He is also sovereign when healing of any kind occurs. It comes all according to His purposes. God is sovereign when it's time to break down things and also when it's time to build them up. He is sovereign and in control when the time comes to weep and to mourn over something or someone. And also when it comes time to laugh and to dance. He is sovereign over the time of casting away stones and gathering stones. He is sovereign over the times of embracing and also when it is time to refrain from embracing. He is sovereign over the times of seeking, losing, keeping, casting away, tearing, sowing, the times of keeping silence and the times of speaking. He is sovereign when it's time to show love and also when it's time to show a righteous hatred for something that is displeasing to God. And yes, God Almighty is sovereign when the time comes for war. And He is also sovereign over the times of peace. They all happen within His time and according to His purposes. They all happen according to His schedule. As he says in Isaiah 46, verses 8 to 10. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. 
Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. All seasons, events, and all of time accomplish the purposes of God. There are no exceptions. None whatsoever. They are all within His control. When we come to the end of the poem, we see again the preacher ask, What gain has the worker from his toil? The answer is that there is none. The worker has no lasting gain. Because as the poem shows us, the worker can only gain what time allows him to gain. And when time is up, when his time is up, when the worker's time is up, all will be taken away and stripped from his possession. The preacher continues. He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Beautiful. God has made every season and time beautiful, as He makes clear in verse 11. Even the seasons and times that do not seem very beautiful, like death, which is usually thought of as a a very dark and sad season of life or weeping and mourning. Those are the dark seasons of life that we tend to run from and try to escape. We don't really like to be in those seasons of life, do we? But look at what the preacher is saying. Look at what he's trying to show you about all of these seasons of life. He's showing you that whether you are in a season of darkness or in a season of light, God is the one who has put you there. Now I'm going to repeat that again because I want to make that clear. Crystal clear. The preacher, the author of this book, is showing you that whether you are in a season of darkness or in a season of light, God Himself is the one who has put you there. He has put you in that season. Now I realize that this is hard to understand. I mean, why would God put me in a season of life that is filled with darkness, right? Why would He do that? And the preacher feels this way too. He feels the same way. He has the same longing to understand why the things happen the way that they happen. This is why he went on his quest in the first place, remember? This is his intention on doing all of these things in observing all of life that happens under the sun. And we have seen over and over again so far that he can't find what he's looking for. He continually comes up empty-handed. He has nothing to show. And that's why he says what he says in the second part of verse 11. He says also, He has put eternity into man's heart, 
yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God has made it this way. He has put eternity into every human heart. And again, you are able to see this clearly. Think about the human race compared to the rest of creation. You don't see animals and other creatures coming together and forming research committees trying to figure out why they exist, why they hibernate in the wintertime, why they eat what they eat, why they do what they do, why they look the way that they look. A squirrel doesn't care that he looks like a squirrel. He just knows that he exists and that he needs to find food and to eat. Your dog is the same way. He doesn't care that he's a dog. He doesn't go around searching the house looking for information to show him why he's a dog, why he's there, what his purpose is. He doesn't care. He just knows that he is in your home or wherever he's at and he wants you to feed him and take care of him, right? But you, the human race, we care much about those things, do we not? I mean, millions upon millions of dollars are spent looking out into space trying to figure out why we are the only planet that has an atmosphere that sustains life. That bothers scientists to death. They cannot figure out why we live in a vast universe and we're just one little small itty-bitty planet and we're the only ones that have life. We care a lot about why we're here. We ask the big questions. And that's because God has put eternity into every single one of your hearts. He has put it there. That is what it means to be created in the image of God. We were created to be in relationship with God, reflecting and enjoying Him for all eternity. That's the world that you and I were created for. Rebellion, however changed how things were meant to be. Sin and death were introduced into the world because of sin. Something that was not intended to be there. So now you and I live in a world where horrible and dark things happen every day. And we don't always understand why. That's a consequence of living in a broken and sinful world. A sin-stained world. But rest in this truth. Rest in this. God does. He understands and sees it all. He knows why every season and every event happens and the purpose that it is meant to accomplish. It is all within His control and it furthers His plan. And the preacher has come to understand this truth. And he concludes once again that we should be joyful. He writes, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. That's verses 12 and 13. This is now the second time that the preacher has told us this. He said it in a very similar way last week in verses 24 to 26 of of chapter 2. That's the, the sermon that we were looking at last week, those passages. 
And He's also going to continue to say these things. He's going to continue to say them in similar ways. Because He wants you to know that to do good and to be joyful as long as you live is God's purpose and His gift to you. In light of the fall, in light of the reality of sin, you are to be joyful and doing good all your days. That is God's gift to you personally. Each and every one of you. That is God's gift to you. You are not meant to find gain in this world. Nor are you meant to go around trying to figure out why everything happens the way that it does under the sun, like the preacher has been doing. We're not meant for those things. And he's again showing us that the chase is not worth it. The chase that he's that he went on in his lifetime, the chase that he is continually unfolding before our eyes in the book of Ecclesiastes is not what we are meant to do. The chase is not worth it. You will come up short. And so he says, just enjoy the things that you have. Enjoy the season of life that God has put you in. Because you never know when that season might change. You do not know when a season of marriage may turn into a season of being a widow or being a widower. You never know when a season of being a parent may turn into a season of being childless. You do not know when a time of singleness may turn into a time of marriage. You do not know when the season of life may turn into the season of death. So enjoy them while you have them. Because God has a purpose and a specific plan for every season that He has put you in. If you are single this morning, it's good to desire marriage. That's a good thing. But God has given you a single life so that you can enjoy that single life and give glory to Him in it. And also when He does, if He decides to, to give you the season of marriage, again, He has given it to you so that you can enjoy it and so that you can glorify Him in it. And the same is if you are a widow, if you are a widower. God has put you there so that you can honor Him and then glorify Him in it, even if it is hard even if it is full of darkness. His plan and His purposes will be fulfilled in those moments. He has put you there for a reason. So enjoy the time, whether it be filled with light or covered in darkness. Trust that God will work all things together for those who love Him. The preacher closes this section saying, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before Him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God 
seeks what has been driven away. All of God's plans and purposes will endure forever. No one can add anything to His plans, nor can they do anything to take away from His plans. God has put them into place. And one day, He is going to seek what has been driven away, which is all of time and history. One day, all creation is going to fear, stand in awe, and reverence of the King of time, which is Jesus Christ. He is the one who has been crowned the Lord of all time. And everything that we just saw that is true of God is also true of Jesus. All of those things, this, this sovereignty that we've been talking about over all time, that's true, that's true of Jesus. Jesus Christ reigns supreme over all things. The supremacy of Christ knows no bounds. There is no area in all of creation that Jesus Christ does not reign supreme over. He is the one who is worthy to hold all of time in His hands. And that's the scene in Revelation 5 that, we, that John makes known to us in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5, John depicts to us the scene that shows uh, the Father, God the Father, sitting on His throne, and He has a scroll in His hand. It has seven seals. And then a mighty angel cries out to all of heaven and to all who are on the earth and all who are beneath the earth. And He says, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to look into it? And at first no one is found. And then Jesus Christ steps forward. And then He walks up to the Father, this throne of the holy, holy, holy God. He walks up to Him. He grabs the scroll, showing that He's the one worthy to open all seven seals, which again represents perfection. All of time, all of history, in every way. He is worthy to open and to hold it all in His hands. Jesus Christ is the one who has and will accomplish all the purposes and plans of the Father. He is the one who is, because of His life, death, and resurrection, because of those things, He is able to redeem and to restore all of time and all of history, including yours. Every event in your life, every season that you've ever gone through, every action, every word that you have ever spoken, Jesus Christ is worthy to redeem it all. He is worthy to give you life, to restore you, and to restore all of creation the way that it should have been in the very beginning. And so if Jesus is your hope and your joy, and your greatest delight, then you have the King of all time on your side. He is for you. And He works all seasons and all time together for your good. If He is not your joy, your delight, if He is not those things, then you have much to fear 
Because Jesus Christ will one day call all of time before Him. All of your time. Everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, He's going to call it to Himself. And it's going to stand before Him utterly exposed. There will be nowhere to hide. He will see you in every way possible. You will have nowhere to go. You will have nothing to say. And without the power of the gospel, you will stand condemned. And He will pour out His almighty wrath on you and everyone else who rejects Him. So fear God and keep His commandments by turning to and delighting in Jesus. That is how you do those things. That is how you show true fear of God. And that is how you truly obey. When you delight in Christ, when He is your greatest joy, when you would have nothing but Him, then you know Him. Then He is for you. Then He works all things together for your good. So turn to Christ. Delight in Him. Fear God. Keep His commandments. And then one day, look forward to the time when you will enjoy His presence forevermore. Let's pray together. Almighty Christ, Lord Jesus, King of time, we thank You for who You are. All that You have accomplished for us. Lord, we stand condemned. We're, we're wretched people. We're sinners. We have nowhere to go. We have nowhere to hide in and of ourselves. But You have come. You've lived for us. You've died for us and You rose for, from the grave for us. And in trusting in You and in, in delighting in You, you redeem all of time. You redeem everything about us. We become a new creation. And You welcome us into Your presence to enjoy all of eternity by Your side, looking upon Your face, praising Your name, and enjoying You. So Father, I ask that You would give confidence to Your people, to those who are trusting in Christ, your people have a confidence that is sure, that is unshakable. You are the king of time and there is nothing that is outside of your control. Everything you work for their good. And I pray that they would rest on that every day, every moment, in the seasons of light and in the seasons of darkness. I also pray for those who may not be delighting in Jesus. Those who may not find their greatest joy and delight in Him who may not be trusting in His life, death, and resurrection. May they realize the weight of the consequences that they will one day face if they do not cling to Him. May they see those things, may they cling to Him, and may they come to know the power of the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we ask and pray these things. Amen.